0: Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in the healthcare industry to help you navigate the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights with working with health professionals and organizations across the country. In today's episode, Dan links up with Erica Adler, partner at Ratzel & Andries, to discuss contracting tips for independent positions and providers. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are at the top of your mind. Now, let's get started. You know,
1: as we think back over
0: this last year...
1: Physicians continue to
0: be under
1: pressure and really at a, in a little bit of a predicament and understanding you know, where they want to go, either maximizing some of their opportunities within their employment model or for independent physicians, really thinking through how they remain independent. Over the last couple of weeks, I've spent quite a bit of time talking with a few independent physicians and there's a close friend of mine who's an independent physician, been independent for about 25 years. And he's really struggling with how he remains independent. And what we're seeing from a lot of the physicians is not only are they struggling with their financial pressures, they struggled with the financial pressures before COVID. So now as COVID is, is moving through, you know, they're continued to be under pressure, but they're also continuing to struggle with physician burnout. And when you think about where physician burnout is occurring, obviously the financial pressures are adding to it coming up with the, the right ways to take care of patients. You know, this particular physician who's been in practice for a long time is a very strong practice. Now all of a sudden had to quickly incorporate telehealth into his practice and really respond to the patient needs differently. And he's scared, frankly, and trying to look for other, other opportunities. And one of the things that he had said to me, which I thought was really interesting, was he had said, you know, Dan, I, I've been working in this practice for about 25 years, um, You know." Built up as a, as a strong business. And he says, now I feel like I'm in a crossroad. Where do I go? Right. Do I, do I become employed? Um, is there an opportunity to merge with another group? Is, is there a way that, that I can get, you know, some, some money out or, you know, for, for the sweat equity that I've, i put into my practice for the last couple of years. And it, it's just fascinating to see where physicians are. And in particular, where these independent physicians are, um, and whether they can really sustain and, and, and remain independent going forward. Well, based on that, we have a really great guest today. Erica Adler is joining us. She is an attorney that focuses a lot on helping physicians, both independent and employed physicians, with a lot of their contracting needs. She specializes in regulatory and contracting support for for medical for many providers. Very excited to have her today. Erica, welcome.
2: Thank you. Very glad to be
1: here. Erica, as I, as I was mentioning, supporting a lot of the independent physicians and, and understanding the, helping them through some of the, the directions, you know, what should they do, how quickly they should move, you know, what are you seeing in your practice? And maybe, you know, you can tell the audience a little bit about, you know, some of your practice and, and some of the things that you've done in supporting a lot of physicians within your role.
2: So I am a regulatory and transactional attorney, and we work with thousands of physicians and physician practices. So we really see big and small independent practices out there. Um, and obviously we've, you know, bought and sold a lot of practices over the past few years as we see greater consolidation. When we're working with our independent practices, as you mentioned, some of them, you know, are struggling. Some have. Always been struggling, and so what we really try and do with our practices is try and figure out why they're struggling. And it's not always issues like COVID or not enough patient volume. Sometimes it's just inefficiencies. Sometimes they're overstaffed. Sometimes they're not marketing themselves. They aren't bringing patients in the door. So it's always a lot of, of different types of issues. So one of the things we try and work with our practices on is you know what what kinds of ideas are are we seeing that some people are getting right, whether it's how they're handling their compensation and their contracts, or whether it's uh, considering bringing in mid-levels so they can expand their hours and and see more patients, whether it's offering uh, new services, new technology like telemedicine, something many of our practices uh, did before COVID, but certainly many more are trying to do it now. So, you know, practices struggle. And I guess what we try and do is help them figure out why, and if it's really something that can be resolved by having them work with us or a consultant like yourself, or if it's really time to think about other alternatives, such as merging, selling, being acquired by some type of equity group. So that's really how we try to think about it. And I think there's a solution for everyone. It's just not always the same solution.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you, you know, there's I started my career in managing independent practices, there's always strong place in my heart for for physicians who own their own practice, who are entrepreneurial, who really are passionate about delivering the right level of care to patients and do it in a way that they wanna be strong entrepreneurs. And I'll tell you the best physicians, the most successful independent physicians that I've seen are the ones that are very entrepreneurial, but aren't afraid to ask for support, right, to, to help them understand, you know, how they need to incorporate sort of these business best practices or, you know, the, the best compensation program for them, or even the the right, you know, business alternative, like entering into a joint venture, if you will. You know, when, when you're talking with physicians and they're thinking about, say, entering into a new business arrangement. Maybe it is a joint venture or it's participating in a super group or something like that. What are some of the things that you're helping them think about, you know, from a, from a contracting standpoint, from a legal standpoint, sort of to protect them in their practice?
2: Well, I think, you know, the first thing we have to think about is, you know, if they are going to do such an arrangement, which type of arrangement is the right one? Uh, If they really want to be independent, but are looking for uh, maybe sharing resources um, and lowering overhead, being able to keep referrals somehow, you know, within their own practice and and benefit from it, maybe ancillaries, maybe other specialties, then I really like to try and think about that supergroup model, because it really is still independent. But there can be a lot of benefits by bringing doctors together as well, as you know, uh, on the pay or contracting piece of that. So that's really great. And that works well for doctors who really still want to be independent, but aren't quite making it on their own. And and of course, it depends on the specialty. Some specialties lend themselves better to that kind of arrangement. Some don't Um, in terms of whether selling is the right option for them. I think that, you know, it it really depends maybe on uh, the particular age. Of the owners of the practice, so with a, a practice that has more uh, older doctors, you know they have heard about a lot of their colleagues who get a nice payday, you know, commit to work for a certain amount of time, and then they get to retire, and a lot of the burden of administration, etc., is off their shoulders. So where you are in your career also can determine what the best fit for you might be, right? And then for those practices that really very strong personalities. Um, where we get a sense that having somebody else kind of tell them how to do things um, or, you know, somehow control decision making and it won't be a good fit, then we really try and look for other alternatives. I think doctors need to be true to themselves. You know, sometimes you're independent and there's a reason for that, while you've always been independent, so it, I think it also comes down to realizing what your personal goals are, uh, what would be the right fit for you, um, and and then trying to make that match.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think really trying to align, um, I think both the personality of the physician of the practice, um, and and really what the business goals are with with the different alternatives. I think is. Is incredibly important and obviously is going to drive a lot of success. You know, one of the things I'd like to talk a little bit about are these supergroup uh, concepts because, you know, we've helped a number of physicians build these supergroups. And in some cases, they're around a single specialty like, you know, orthopedics or GI and, and even cardiology. Um, as well as then these, what we're calling these independent provider networks, which are similar than to ACOs or, or clinically integrated networks, um, but provides a lot of opportunities. It provides some opportunities around contracting, managed care contracting, but it also allows you to pool resources to provide some, you know, some end services at a lower cost point than you can do it on your own. How have you seen or what, what are some of the things that you're seeing around these supergroups and what has been some of the successes that have support the independent practice model?
2: Well, I actually really like the concept of a supergroup because what it does is it allows the group to still look and feel quite independent. So you might actually be going into a group that's a member of a supergroup, but you don't even realize it. And part of the reason is that in these supergroups, the independent practices still continue to operate largely in the same way, uh, the same staff, the same doctors, the same office. Um, and the, really, the changes are are behind the scenes. And typically, that might be, um, you know, management to centralize, they're sharing malpractice insurance, uh, they've got some, some other centralized activities that are really cost saving on on the overhead piece, which, you know, to somebody like you and I walking into a doctor office, we wouldn't really notice. Now, it's important to understand there are some regulatory issues here. So these supergroups are really one single group practice, although it may not look like that. In fact, each office can actually have its own name and operate under different trade names, even though they're all a single legal entity. Because they are a single legal entity, there are some requirements under the law. Some centralized decision making is required. Uh, there's rules about how compensation can be distributed as it relates to ancillary services. So when you are a supergroup, there are certain things for sure um, that are different, but those are really behind the scenes and it can usually be done in a way that it is quite easy and quite there. Uh, as I mentioned previously, when you come together, it often gives you the opportunity to use ancillaries you might not have. So, for example, if you're an orthopedic practice, you don't have your own MRI. Uh, you don't have your own physical therapy. And those are both ancillaries under Stark. But when you come together, you're one single group. So you can send your patient to actual other offices of that supergroup uh, and it is still part of your group. Uh, and there are ways that revenue can be shared among all the physicians. are part of that group. So there are definite pluses and minuses for a practice that wants to look and feel independent, wants to keep its patient base. And even within the the little group itself, your compensation methodology largely is unchanged. Decision-making largely unchanged. Um, So it's a really great way to kind of stay independent, but still be part of something bigger. So you have cost savings uh, and extra services and extra sources of revenue as well.
1: Well, and I'll tell you the key to that model, and I've said this to physicians time and time again, you know, you've got your main revenue stream that, that you have in, in taking care of patients, you're billing for the patients, you're getting paid by, you know, the, the payers for that. But if you're going to remain successful, a key business philosophy is you need to add and diversify your revenue streams. So to enter into a super group, although you know you've got to work out the details through governance and funds flow and operational support and all of that, it provides an opportunity to to include additional revenue streams um, to be able to you know expand a lot of the business practices and if it's done right, It's going to reduce your costs as well, too. So all the way around, I think it really does provide a a great level of support to the independent providers.
2: Absolutely. I think that there are a lot of benefits. I mean, some of these groups get really, really big. um, And so you sometimes get a little bit away from feeling like you are are still in a small group. So, you know, there's different sizes. There's a huge super group with hundreds uh, of doctors that are involved. And then you have smaller ones, maybe four or five offices. And again, that's another decision to be made. What is the right one for you? Uh, I'll also mention that sometimes these super groups, everybody who participates, all the owners are, are, you know, Included in in the decision making and the voting. So sometimes when these supergroups are formed, there there does come a time when private equity comes knocking on the door, right? And that's a
1: great point.
2: Yeah. Right. And you you need to be aware that you may love having joined that supergroup. You may be enjoying what it looks like, but there's also many others who will have a vote on what the future will look like. So you may find that supergroup suddenly becomes a private equity deal. And so you need to go into it knowing. Um, the down the road it, it may not end up being what you had imagined.
1: Oh yeah, and that's a great point. I'll tell you private equity they they love investing in this because it's a great opportunity for them to expand it, grow it and, and reap some nice rewards I want I want to spend a couple of minutes shifting a little bit to to the kind of the employment model. as I mentioned you know that that colleague of mine that I've been working through, you know, he's weighing his options. And one of the options is, is joining a, a hospital-based um, you know, employee group and entering into an, an employment model. You know, his concern is, well, what does he do with his practice? Does he just give it up? Is there an opportunity to sell it? What are you seeing right now in the type of transactions that are occurring as independent physicians are entertaining employment?
2: Well, I I definitely am still seeing physicians taking employment. And that may be, you know, with or without a practice, an independent practice that they're leaving. For those that are in independent practice and kind of feel like they've had enough, certainly there are hospitals that are still acquiring those practices. And and even to some extent, there are private equity companies interested in independent and small practices to kind of join on to other practices that they've already acquired. So lots of opportunity out there. Oh, yeah even payers
1: as well too. I mean, the payers are going out and they're purchasing the practices as well. United Healthcare has done quite a bit of that work,
2: particularly in the Georgia area and in the Northeast. Absolutely. I see there's there's really no reason for a physician that owns a small practice to ever just go to employment and not make some kind of deal for what they have acquired. Now, maybe they're not doing well and they're failing, and maybe all they have is their medical records, but those are still worth something. So typically yeah. we, we do try and work out some kind of deal, even, you know, with a local hospital just to uh, take possession of those records, which can be a real burden off of the doctor to handle, you know, HIPAA and record retention. Uh, but typically there's some goodwill. The patients are coming along and there may be other assets. Of course, you know, you need to look at some of the other issues like leases that might be in place. And obligations to staffing, and a lot of um, hospitals out there are interested in just kind of taking over that lease, keeping the staff on board, and making that at least for some period of time their office until the lease expires. So there's lots of different opportunities. You don't need to just shut your door and find a job. There's there's ways to merge those concepts together. And what we're really seeing in terms of employment for physicians that are doing that is most hospitals, what they do is they, or future employers, they they offer a little bit of uh, certainty. So maybe a guaranteed salary for some period of time, uh, great benefits typically compared to what a doctor in a small practice might have been able to afford, uh, maybe some benefits uh, like productivity bonuses for having uh, achieved certain um, targets or even value-based um, benefits or bonuses as well. So there's lots of things that you can get into that contract that maybe in your own practice you weren't quite able to achieve. Um, a larger employer can achieve some of those financial goals that an independent practice cannot. And uh, obviously if you're you're leaving your practice behind that you, you're you aware of that. So I'm looking for a strong base salary. I'm looking for a commitment of a certain number of years, uh, opportunities to earn some kind of bonuses. And most importantly, and maybe doctors think too much about the money sometimes, I'm really concerned about quality of life. When I look at a physician contract, I want to preserve some control over call, schedule, location. You got money, you got a solid contract, but you go where and when you're told to go, that leads to an unhappy physician, right? So you don't want to leave those kind of lifestyle issues uh, on the floor just for a paycheck. And that's something that I really need to remind my doctors of. When we talk about burnout, which you mentioned previously, uh, those are exactly uh, the kind of issues that, that lead to burnout. Too many hours uh, that you have to have um, you know, clinical time seeing patients. And then on top of it, you're doing records at home and on the weekend, you're taking too much call, uh, et cetera. So we really want to think about that entire package. We want to think about you know, things like malpractice and non-compete in case that arrangement doesn't work out and you want to go back out on your own. So there's a lot of different components to think about. Uh, It can be a good uh, direction to take you if your practice isn't working, but you need to think about all the uh, potential outcomes.
1: It brings up a, a good point. You know, we have a lot of physicians who come to us and are with this, you know, this, this very question, right? You know, is it time for me to abandon my practice and, and become employed. And I often start that conversation by you know, helping them to really define the why, right? Why do they want to do this? What, you know, is it more than just being very scared about your financial position? Because like you said, there's alternatives um, that you know, can help sort of right sides of the ship, if, if, if you will. So defining that why becomes really important. And, you know, the, the why could be around, hey, I've been in private practice for 25 years. You know, I'd like to have some additional support and having, you know, the, the hospital run and manage my practice. I'm just kind of done with it. Or maybe it's that, you know, they want additional challenges. So I've had one physician in particular who, again, extremely successful, practice. Um, You know, he's, I I would even categorize him as extremely successful entrepreneur. And he had been involved in leadership roles in their clinically integrated network, and really began to enjoy that. And so the hospital Provided him an opportunity to sell his practice, to become employed with an idea in the next couple of years to, you know, move him up to a medical director and eventually maybe the chief medical officer. So he was really excited about that. And again, but he was struggling with the fact is, well, you know, I, I put 25 years of my life into this practice, and now all of a sudden I'm going to abandon it. So helping the physicians understand the why. I would think that's gotta be your strong basis for you to really negotiate a good deal and negotiate a good contract on behalf of the physician.
2: I think so too. I mean, the doctor really needs to have a sense of what he's what he's doing. Sometimes we take time and just say, okay, you, you care about your patients. Maybe you can start, you know, there's there's often part-time leadership or part-time clinical roles where you could start cutting back on your private practice. And work at the hospital, maybe find another doctor who might be wanting to come in and take over. Uh, There's that alternative as well, right? So there's never just, we must shut the door so I can go to this new opportunity. There are ways to merge these concepts and at different times in a doctor's career, his needs and his goals are different, but we we can smooth that transition somewhat. Right there's plenty of doctors out there who still want to be independent and would love to become involved with a practice where doctors thinking of leaving, and and certainly you know later on in a career where doctors really are closer four or five years to retirement, I that's where I see the majority of them starting to think about moving to hospital employment or you know starting to do part time, you know more than one location. So it, it's also a, a life.
1: A lifestyle issues issue. in
2: terms yep. of timing, you know, as well. The doctors, the young doctors that are looking for that, are, are taking it right out of training. So I'm not really mm-hmm. seeing a lot of doctors who are in private practice in their 30s suddenly saying, "I want to go work for a hospital," <laughs> right? So it really, very much, does come out to to be those type of issues. So I think there's there's lots of different solutions. Everyone is different, um, you know. On the on the question of working with the hospital, su- surprisingly. Despite how much they may want a physician, hospitals and other, you know, Institutions are are quite rigid sometimes in their contracts. Unfortunately, they're not quite as flexible as I wish they would be, uh, even where the doctor's bringing something of value to them. A lot of them are very stuck on a formulaic contract and and can't get off of it. And what they tend to do is have great conversations, make lots of promises, share a vision for the future. But then when we see the contract, none of it is in there, right? And that can make these types of deals sometimes fall apart. And Unfortunately, sometimes there needs to be some good faith and trust when we can't get it into the contract, and I'd say for the most part that good faith works out, but it doesn't always so I really think um, that it's important to understand who your partner is, uh, decide whether you have faith in them if they won't put their you know their words in writing, and to really kind of consider you know whether it's yeah. a good step or not with them as your particular partner
1: well, absolutely and you know, I think the basis of all of that is the relationship, right? So if, you know, of course, this is a, a business transaction, and, you know, that has to be kept in mind, but the relationship goes a long way towards ensuring the success of any any business transaction. And, you know, that's such an important point. I've I've seen many physicians who, I mean, they're ready to sell in a handshake, frankly, with the administrator because they've they've got a great relationship. And then, you know, there's been a few others that I've been a part of where, you know, there's this underlying sense of distrust as you start to kind of think about, you know, coming together. Um, So it's a little bit of a balancing act. I I absolutely agree that, you know, I, I wish some of the hospitals would be a little bit more flexible in some of their contracting, but they're not, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, they may have a 500 or 600 or maybe a thousand physician medical group, and they can't have individual contracts for each one of them. I get it. So I think it does come down to building that sense of trust and just making sure that that relationship is there.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I, it's true. A lot of them have very solid contract, but there really can be side letters as well. I don't, you know, I'm not really of the belief that a doctor needs to just 100% trust and sign a contract that doesn't include a single term that was ever talked about by the parties. And that's really especially important on the things that matter the most to the doctor. You know, some doctors, um, you know, have a four-day work week that they negotiated, but the contract says you work when we tell you to work, or they've agreed to take a certain amount of call, but it says you'll take the same call as everybody else. And so I really feel like if those are important issues for the physician transitioning to a new employment arrangement, and yet we can't get it in writing, I, I do worry about those. And yeah, um, you know, true. I'd like to think that those are uh, concepts that people keep their word on. But there's a lot of turnover sometimes at these hospitals, there is. and the person yeah. you made the deal with is not there in six months, and they say, "Well, it's not in your contract, right?" right? If so, it's not in
1: writing, you know, it doesn't and, happen. <laughs>
2: and then I feel like I left. The, you know, I let the client down. So I really do, it needs to be their decision at the end of the day, but you're right. Some, a little bit more flexibility or putting, you know, their money where their mouth is a good idea.
1: Well, Erica, this is great. I really, I appreciate this. And I'll, I'll tell you this, as I said early on, I mean, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, you know, mostly because I've, I've worked with physicians. I started my career early on in managing physicians. And frankly, I've always felt like the best you know, relationship that I've had with physicians is where the physicians were excellent clinical folks had great entrepreneurial aspirations. And, you know, I came in with a lot of the business support. So these topics clearly near and dear to my heart. Any final thoughts, any final recommendations or insights that you may want to share with our, our audience, particularly those who may be independent physicians?
2: Well, what I would say is that I I still think there's a great role for independent physicians. And if it's truly something that you love and enjoy, I hate to see doctors give it up. There are uh, other physicians that would love to collaborate. Uh, there are other alternatives uh, to keep you independent. Are you running your practice efficiently? Are there things that you could do to not cost much of a change or much expense but really make a huge difference to your practice? And I would always encourage somebody who truly loves to be independent, to explore those options. Um, But also there are other alternatives, bigger steps that can be taken. And certainly you can always look into those and still remain largely with a feeling of independence. So I I think doctors should just be true to themselves, what their ultimate goals are, what their five-year plan is, what their 10-year plan, and know that there are a lot of people out there uh, who have this experience and can offer them suggestions that they may not be thinking about. And they really just need to Uh, consider talking to those uh, who have dealt with practices like their own and and may have some unique ideas or concepts that they haven't considered. And even after considering them, they may choose to move forward with, you know, selling out or employing or whatever it is, but at least know what all the options are and know that there's, you know, partners to help you consider that.
1: Absolutely. And that is, I think, Great advice. And so hopefully reassuring to a lot of the independent physicians. Well, Erica, thank you for your time today. This was a great discussion. And, you know, I think is, you know, as I said, I think both of us passionate about, you know, helping physicians and making sure that, you know, they're, they're able to remain um, viable in their practice, do what they want to do, and maintain a um, hopefully a, a good work-life balance as we move, you know, past COVID and, and into the future. So thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it.
2: It's been great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So, you know, in summary, I think there's a, a couple of things that really resonated with me regarding this discussion. I think the first thing is that independent physicians you know, they do have options. And I think I I would certainly echo a lot of Erica's advice. Look at what those options are. If it's the financial pressures, you know, there are some alternatives to that. There's some support that, you know, the physician practice can receive or the physician can receive to kind of, you know, realign their practice direction. I, I love the super group concept. I think that is an opportunity for physicians to come together, independent physicians to come together to identify some, you know, potentially some new business opportunities, new revenue streams, reduce some costs. Um, You know, all of those, all of those options, I think, are great opportunities for independent physicians to remain independent. But if moving into an employment model at this point in your career is seems to be the right move, I guess, you know, our advice would be to really make sure you're defining the why. Why do you want to do this? And at the end of the day, being clear on what's going to be next for you in this in this next phase of, of your career and this next phase of of your practice and ultimately, you know, continue to make you happy and do what you what you enjoy doing.
0: We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners in the journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Anchor, and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com backslash insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we can continue to navigate and thrive in the new normal. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.